Wow. Well, grace and peace to you this morning, vibrant from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It's good to be here in Mississippi. As he said, I'm also from Columbus. Just from Columbus, Ohio, praise God. And I've never been to Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, spent some time in, um, I can't think of the name of the town. There's close to Jackson there, maybe a year or so. And so uh, I guess it's fitting for me to come back, be with Pastor Ethan and Lena, and just uh, been so gracious and hospitable. And uh, we just love them to pieces. Uh, we had Pastor Ethan at our church not long ago, and so he referred to me and Tracy as Uncle Lonnie and Aunt Tracy, and so I guess we'll just call them our nephews and nieces, praise God, in God's house, and so we're just so grateful what God is doing. Uh, I text Pastor Ethan um, yesterday, last night, and I told him, I said, man, uh, what great accommodations, great hospitality, uh, amazing facilities. We got a tour yesterday. Pastor Josiah took us on a tour of the facilities. I said, man, amazing. And I said, but uh, I get to see the best part of Vibrant tomorrow, and that's the people. And, and, vibrant, and Vibrant means energetic, enthusiastic, let me say that again. It means energetic. I'm overwhelmed with your enthusiasm. <laughs> right? And so uh, I'm glad to be here to just share what I believe the Lord wants me to share today. You can be seated. Thank you so much for your presence, your honoring today. Um, I, I like to say that I am an equal opportunity preacher, which means I give you the opportunity to speak while I speak. So that means you can talk back to the preacher. I'm one of the preachers that like you to talk back to the preacher. So, uh, so this is an equal opportunity moment this morning, <laughs> praise God. A few years ago in our church, we used to bust some guys in uh, from a halfway house and come to our services. 20, 25 guys, we'd bust them in on Sunday mornings. And, you know, they were just straight from the street, straight out of being incarcerated, you know, didn't really know anything about church, couldn't spell God if you spotted them two letters. I mean, they was just, they was just, they, they were just downright heathens, right? And so one day I'm preaching, and I think I'm in third gear, and I'm preaching good, and, you know, the church talks back to me. That's good, pastor. Preach, pastor. Amen, pastor. One brother stood up, and he said, that's a cold piece. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. He's like, that's a cold piece. So if I say anything that resonates with you this morning, feel free to stand up and say, that's a cold piece. Yeah. <laughs> I have my wife with me, Tracy, this morning. We've been married 30 years. Yeah. 30 years Christmas. We got married on Christmas Day. Isn't that something? Just got up one Christmas morning and went to the church house, a little bit of the old church, and got married, went back home and opened up gifts, praise God. We've been together 40 years. Isn't that something? So I know, you know, I'm only 42. And <laughs> so we were kind of a, a grade school project that got out of hand, right? <laughs> and she, uh, we were together 10 years on this side of the cross and then 30 years on this side of the cross. <laughs> And uh, the 30 years on this side of the cross has been much better than the 10 years on this side of the cross. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited. Also, I got a photo of my family I wanted to show you guys. Yeah, that's my family there. 
I have, uh, <clears throat> those are uh, three, my three sons, my two grandsons, uh, my oldest son, Devin, and his wife, Taylor, uh, to your right, uh, and then uh, little Roman is uh, their son. And Jackson, he's holding my grandson, the newest addition to the family, of course, Tracy. My son, Jeremiah, he's the youngest of the three, and then Isaiah's on the end there. And so they're all back home right now and just worshiping, and we're just so glad they're part of our house and what God is doing. How many are ready for the word today? I believe I have something to speak to the hearts of the people today. For all you who are watching online, I believe God's going to bless you or something's going to resonate with you as well today. Father, we bless this time. We ask you to just think through my mind and speak through my mouth as I teach and preach the word, the unadulterated word of the living God. And let it just bring life. Let it bring hope. Let it bring just transformation to the hearts and minds of your people that will never be the same. Make a mark on us that can never be erased. In Jesus' name, all who agree, shout amen. 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 I want to talk to you today. I just, you know, I know that we go through seasons and sometimes uh, mistakes and mishaps and, you know, things that we need to be restored from, bounce back from, so on and so forth. And there's a story in the scripture that I wanted to read to you. And I have an interesting title that I'm going to talk about today, but the story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And in 2 Samuel chapter 11, it's the story of David and David uh, basically meeting Bathsheba, okay? Y'all know the story, David and Bathsheba. In verse 2, it picks up, it says, and it came to pass in an evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman. And uh, one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So you guys know the story. Let me just fill you in. David sees this woman washing on the roof. He goes and gets her. He's the king. Everybody say, he's the king. David is the king, and so he has the power to do whatever he wants to do. He goes and gets Bathsheba. He brings her into his palace, and he sleeps with her. Now, that isn't bad enough because she belongs to another man named Uriah. And the Bible continually talks about it. It never really calls her David's wife. He always refers to her as Uriah the Hittite's wife. David sleeps with her, and then after he sleeps with her, he does something even more devastating. He finds out that she's married. Her husband is in the army of Israel, so David sends for her husband and says, bring him here, and I want to put him on the front line of the battle. In other words, you know they're about to go into war. He said, I'm going to put him out front because I know those who are out front have the greater percentage of being killed. And so David puts him out front, and sure enough, Uriah is killed. And if you read the rest of the story, you'll find out that this infuriated God. It made God angry at David. Matter of fact, God told the prophet, he said, listen, because of what David did, because of David's sin, he said, I'm not going to take David's life, but I'm going to take the life of the child that was born from the union with him in Bathsheba. And so the child died, and so we find David, the Bible says, literally discouraged, depressed. I mean, he just sit up on the earth in sackcloth and ashes, and his men come to him, and they just can't do anything because he's extremely, extremely down, discouraged. 
the weight of the world has just been sitting upon him as a result of this sin and the repercussions of it. As I was reading this, I was walking through the store one day, Target. Y'all got Target here? No Target? No Target? I call it Target. And so, man, God, man. Y'all got, I'm going to pray for a Target to come to Columbus, Mississippi. I stay in Target. I stay in Target. And I was walking, and I must have been walking past the kids' section of a book, and I looked over, and I saw this book that I grew up on. It was a nursery rhyme or a story, a children's story. And the book was called Humpty Dumpty. You ever heard of Humpty Dumpty? And so I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning from the subject Humpty Dumpty. Because I believe David's life somewhat represented Humpty. Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses, all the king men couldn't put Humpty together again. This was David. This is what David was going through and what David was experiencing. The first thing I want to talk about is Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. The wall. This part of the story puts emphasis on the wall. Uh, in biblical times, walls were for protection. Walls were for privacy. Walls were partitions. Walls were high places. The scripture says that David walked up on the house of the king's roof. He's the king. He walks up on his own roof in his own house. And the Bible says if it were, he sat on the wall and he watched this woman washing herself. I remember growing up in the neighborhood I grew up uh, in Columbus, Ohio, me and my friends when I was young, 9, 10 years old, there was a wall like in our community. It was about 9, 10, 11 feet tall. I don't know. But my friends and I used to like to climb up on the wall. And we would climb up on the wall and we would eat our bag of potato chips and drink our Fago pops sitting up on the wall. And we could just view life. In other words, the wall gave us the ability to view life from another level. In other words, the walls that you sit on are your worldview. It's your worldview. And your worldview is simply the lenses that you view life through. I'm reminded of a story of a woman. She kept complaining about her neighbor because her neighbor kept hanging up clothes on the blind in the back, drying her clothes as she washed them. And she would tell her husband, I don't know why Miss Patton keeps hanging up dirty clothes. And then the following week, she would hang up more clothes. Her husband would come down. She said, there she's at it again, Miss Patton hanging up more dirty clothes. And then her husband would come down. She'd say the same thing. And then one week, her husband came down, and the wife was kind of with some enthusiasm and excitement. She said, babe, Miss Patton finally learned how to wash clothes. She put up some clean clothes. She said, I wonder what happened. The husband said, I'll tell you what happened. I decided to get up early this morning and wash our windows. wasn't Miss Patton. It was the lenses that she was viewing life through. Isn't it interesting how two people can experience the same thing but see it differently? I find that extremely interesting. There's a story of two twins named Johnny and Jimmy, and this story really tells the fact that you can go through the same experience but perceive it or see it differently. They were twins, and Johnny was uh, basically a bum uh, living in, you know, 
alleys because he was a drunk and he was homeless. But his brother Jimmy was a very successful CEO downtown living in a penthouse in a high rise. And so the news media of the city found out about this story and they wanted to do a story on him. So they went to Johnny down in the slums, finding him behind garbage cans with bottles of wine and liquor all around him. And they said, Johnny, they said, why is it that you are drunk? They said, your brother, he is doing wonderful downtown. And why, why is it that you drink? How is it that you become an alcoholic? He said, why am I an alcoholic? He said, because my father was an alcoholic. He said, and I can never remember a time seeing my father when he wasn't drunk, stupor, and his just, just, just filthy drunk. I can never remember a time where he didn't just verbally abuse us because of his drunkenness and verbally abuse my mother because of his drunkenness and wake us up in the middle of a night in angry and in a rage because of his drunkenness. And you ask me why I'm a drunk? They said, well, your brother, he's doing fine. He's not an alcoholic. He's running a multi-billion dollar business downtown. He's a CEO. Why isn't he a drunk? He said, why don't you go and ask him? So they took the crew. They went downtown. They said, listen, uh, Jimmy, we just interviewed your brother Johnny down in the slums, and we had a question for him. We want to ask you the same question. Why aren't you a drunk? He said, why am I not a drunk? He said, because my father was a drunk. He said, and I can't ever remember a time seeing my father, and he wasn't drunk. My father verbally abused us. He verbally abused my mother. He would wake us up in the middle of the night in rage and anger. And you ask me why I'm not a drunk? In other words, they both had the same experience, but they perceived it or they looked at it through different lenses. That's a good place to clap right there. Some people have a victim worldview. Some people have a victorious worldview. Some people have a humanistic worldview. Some people have a secular worldview. Some people have a self-centered worldview. When you look at life through the lenses of politics, and then on top of that, you look at life through the lenses of ethnicity. And then on top of that, you look at life through the lenses of modern culture. And then on top of that, you can look at life through the lenses of money. How many of you know you got a skewed view? I probably look like Urkel at the 17th. <laughs> I can't see a thing up here. Come on, are you following what I'm saying? Because your worldview has to do with the lenses that you look at life through. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. Luke chapter 6, verse 39 says, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they both not, here it is, fall into the ditch? Sometimes the fall is the result of the worldview. Blindness isn't the all, in other words, in other words, blindness is not a lack of sight. Sometimes blindness is the result of looking at life through too many lenses. And God wants you and I to only have what we call a biblical or a scriptural worldview. One worldview. The wall that you sit on can be considered your worldview. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. The second thing it said is, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. This is good. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Think about this. The fall could have been lust. The fall could have been pride. 
Because the Bible says pride goeth before a fall. The fall could have been greed. The fall could have been self-exaltation. This is why Satan fell. In other words, the story doesn't tell us the reasoning for the fall. The fall could have been because of a wavering wall. It could have been because of a slippery wall. It could have been because of a crumbling wall. I don't know the reason for the fall, but when I think about human nature, you know what I think? I think Humpty climbed that wall to elevate himself to see something and to reach something like David did with Bathsheba. And this is tweetable, what I'm about to say. <laughs> Ruin is always the result of trying to grasp things that have been put out of our reach. Yeah. Ruin is always the result of trying to grasp things that have been put out of our reach. Satan grasped for a level in heaven that had been put out of his reach, and it resulted in his fall. Nimrod builds a tower to try to reach the heaven, and it resulted in its fall. I can see Eve now on her tiptoes reaching for that forbidden fruit, and it resulted in Adam and Eve's fall. David saw Bathsheba as he sat on the wall washing herself, and he reached for her, and it resulted in his fall. What am I saying? Someone in here has reached for a relationship, maybe through an affair that resulted in a great fall. Someone in here reached for an alcohol bottle and had a great fall. Someone in here reached for some dope and had a great fall. Someone in here reached for some rage and anger and had a great fall. Someone in here reached for running with the wrong crowd and had a great fall. Someone in here reached for a life of gambling and had a great fall. Someone in here reached for uh, what I might call fast money, dishonest gain, and had a great fall. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. <laughs> Over 33 years ago, I reached for fast money. I reached for flamboyance. I reached for fame. I reached for a fancy lifestyle by selling drugs. And I had a great fall. I spent three years in the United States federal prison. I had a great fall. And I just said, don't look at me in that tone of voice. Don't judge me too quickly because I'm in good company. <laughs> what I mean is people like Paul and Silas in the Bible went to prison. People like John the Baptist in the Bible went to prison. People like Peter in the Bible went to prison. In the Old Testament, Joseph went to prison. Dr. Martin Luther King went to prison. Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison. I guess what I'm saying is you can't do anything great for God unless you go to prison. I call it the prerequisite for the anointing. I had a great fall. 
Spent three years. Got saved on a Sunday, went to prison that Monday. My first three years of being saved was in prison. Had a great fall. Wow. I remember being sentenced in the court, federal courthouse. She was my girlfriend at the time. We had our oldest son, Devin, out of wedlock. He was just a couple of months old, a few months old. She's standing behind me. The judge stacks me to stand before sentence, and he says, son, do you have anything you want to say? I don't know. I may have said a few words, but I could hear her whispering over my shoulder as she stood in the back. She said, I'll wait five years. <laughs> That's what she said to me. I'll wait five years. Like, if you get anything above that, you're on your own. The judge gave me 36, actually 40 months back then. It was under a new law. I had to do 85% of my time. So I'm trying to count. What is 40 months? I don't know what 40 <laughs> months is. And I said, it's a little over three years. It's three years. I look back and I said, I expect you to wait. <laughs> and she did. I'm going to tell you in a minute how I was Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. And Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Number three, all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Second Samuel, if you go over another chapter, over chapter 12, verse 16, it catches up with the story. It says, David therefore pleaded with God for the child. Remember I told you the child was sick. The child had died. David fasted and went in and lay, on the, and lay all night on the ground. So the elders of his house arose and went to see him, uh, to raise him up from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. So I want you to get a picture of here. It said the men of his house, he's the king. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put David back together. Said they tried to get him up, to raise him up, but he would not. He would not even eat. This is interesting. When I stepped by that, when I was walking down that aisle in Target that day, and I got a glimpse out of my peripheral, that little book with Humpty on the front, it reminded me as I looked at it that Humpty was a human in the form of an egg. Really, he was a human, but he was in the form of an egg. Now, let me ask probably the ladies who are in the room and who are watching online, how many of you have ever been in your kitchen cooking and you accidentally dropped an egg? You cracked the egg, you broke the egg. How many of you know it is literally impossible to scoop that egg up and put it back together? You can go and get some scotch tape and try to scotch tape the egg back together. You can go and get you some super glue and try to super glue the egg. You can go get you a staple gun and try to staple the egg back. You can go get a hammer and some nails and try to nail the egg. How many of you know you end up creating more of a mess trying to fix the first mess? Are you hearing me? And so, so Humpty is an egg in the form of a human. The part of the egg, listen to this, the parts of the egg represent the parts of a human. Because a human, we are a three-part being. We are a spirit, we possess a soul, 
and we live in a body. We don't have a spirit. We are a spirit. You possess a a soul and you have a body. You live in a body. Matter of fact, it is your body that gives you uh, the ability to navigate in this earth realm. Without a body, you and I would be illegal in the earth realm. The only thing that makes us legal is coming through the womb of a woman and picking up flesh or a body to house our spirit. Even God could not come into the earth without a body. He had to be born of a woman, and now we call him Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Because Jesus picked up a body on his way to do the work of redemption in the earth, but he couldn't do it without a body. This is why spirits desire a body. God wants your body. The devil wants your body because neither one of them have access or authority in this earth without a body. And so remember one day Jesus comes up on this man and this man is violently possessed and Jesus casts the spirits out of the man. And you know what they said? They said, don't cast us out here in outer darkness. They said, there's some pigs over there. At least let us enter their body. And Jesus allowed it, and the spirits entered the pig's body, and the pigs ran violently off the cliff and killed themselves. This ought to at least teach us the power of the human will. Because if all of those spirits got in those pigs and those pigs killed themselves, those spirits was residing in that man. Wow. So we are a three-part bearing. We are a spirit. We possess a soul. We live in a body. I said the parts of an egg represents the part of a human. An egg has a shell, which represents the body. It houses the egg white, which represents the soul. Deep inside, it has an egg yolk, which represents the spirit. It's one thing to have a broken shell. It's another thing to have a broken egg white, and it's another thing to have a broken egg yolk. It's one thing to have a broken body, a broken arm, a broken leg, a broken finger. How many of you know it's another thing to have a broken heart? It's another thing to come from a broken home. It's another thing to be the recipient of broken promises. It's another thing to have fractured feelings. It's another thing to have shattered hopes and busted dreams. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. And we have all had our experiences with the king's men. They've all been failed attempts and they go by failed names like Oprah like Dr. Phil, like Montel. They may go by names like psychotherapy. They may go by names like self-help books. They may go by names like hypnosis. Some of the king's men may be the considerate bartenders that counseled us as we sit at the end of the bar and drowned ourselves in bottles of beer. They were the king's men, but they were all fable, uh, uh, failed attempts to fix us and to heal our brokenness. Somebody say, that's a cold piece right there. That's a cold piece. 
The woman with the issue of blood was Humpty Dumpty. Yeah. The woman with the issue of blood. Because the Bible says she sought after men, physicians, surgeons, specialists, but they couldn't help her. Matter of fact, the scripture says she didn't get better, but rather she grew worse. Because all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put this woman back together again. The man who was down at the pool of the infirmity of Bethesda had an infirmity for 38 years. He too was Humpty Dumpty. When Jesus come down to ask him about the stirring of the water, he said, I have no man to put me into the pool because all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put him back together again. David was Humpty Dumpty. David was broken. He was discouraged. He was depressed. And the Bible said the men of his house, he's the king, the men of his house could not get him to come up. They could not get him to come out of it. He, he, he was Humpty Dumpty. All the king's horses, all the king's men couldn't put David back together. I was Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, I was broken. I was damaged goods. I was beyond repair. I was looking for love and affirmation in all the wrong places. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise, treasures that fade, never enough. But you came along, put me back together. Now you can tell I don't care if y'all think I can sing or not because all the king's horses and all the king's men didn't put this Humpty back together again. I searched the world, come on, but it couldn't fill me. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade were never enough. But how many of you know when you came along Woo, glory to God, you put me back together. Now every desire is satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. Come on, somebody ought to give God a good 30 seconds of praise. If you know there is nothing, absolutely nothing better than you. Yeah, I was Humpty Dumpty. I was released from prison, sent home, halfway house for five or six months. God had did such a work in my life. My first time preaching was in prison. I got the experience of Jeremiah when God told Jeremiah, do not look at their faces. Because I would preach in prison, they would look at me like a calf at a new gate. Like nothing I was saying was resonating, just hard looks. Only that when I would get done, they would come up and say privately what they wouldn't express publicly. <laughs> My wife calls it seminary for me. 
I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to any formal school. I went to the joint. And I had revival in the joint. Literally, revival. I had times and meetings with God in the joint that I've never experienced outside of the joint. Because God will do something when there's a hungry and a thirsty spirit. When I came home, I just started doing just, it was almost like, you know, when God told Jonah, he said, go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. He went to Tarshish. God said, okay, you're out of the will of God. He prepared a big fish to swallow Jonah up. Jonah's in the belly of the whale for three days, remember three nights. He's crying out. Finally, he prays out to the Lord and says, I'll do your will. I'll do your will. I'm tired of being in this fish's belly. And the Bible says the fish vomited him up on dry land. And then it says something very interesting. It said that the journey to Nineveh was generally a three-day journey, but God caused Jonah to make it up in one day. That's what happens sometimes when you lose time out of the will of God and you decide to get back in the will of God, God will expedite. He will quickly. And that's kind of what he did with me in prison. I was supposed to be six months in the joint, in the, in the halfway house. I wasn't in there that long. My probation officer's like, man, you're doing wonderful. You're doing awesome. She's like, I, I, I'm going to let you go early. And she said, I hate to let you go because you know, you're the only person I got that's doing good. She said, but I'm going to let you. I said, don't let that hold you back. Don't let that hold you back. And, and she said, I'm going to tell you a story to the judge. Listen to this. The judge that sentenced me, United States federal judge, he's now retired today, Judge Graham. We ended up wanting to do a story on my life. And so he calls me in, calls her in. We had just gotten married. Because uh, as soon as we got out, as soon as we got out, I got out, we got married that same year, Christmas. And um, he brings us into his chambers. We're going into his chamber. He's got the news media from our city. He's got writers, everybody there. We weren't expecting all of this. The stenographer, it was her day off. She was in. She said, listen, I've been here for 30 years. I've never seen anything like this. I said, like what? She said, where a judge or a sitting judge would invite the people that he sentenced back to his chamber to have lunch with him. So her and I are sitting in. He's orders in lunch. We sit in for two hours, and all we talked about, for the most part, was God. And up until a few years ago, as he retired, her and I would meet with him every year, once a year, for breakfast. He told me, if I ever needed anything. I tell you the story because the end of our meeting in his chamber, he looked at me and he said something that I'll never forget. He said, whoever would have thought that the man I sentenced over three years ago would be sitting in my chamber with me today having lunch. He said, only a God could do that. Wow. I'm Humpty Dumpty, and I believe I'm talking to many Humpty Dumpties in this sanctuary and watching us online today. If you just surrender your life into the hands of God, he can put back together what no man can put back together. I'm done.
God bless you, Vibrant. I hope you were blessed by the word of the Lord today. Come on, can we give it up for Jesus?